السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد بسبعت اللسنز we gather once again for the continuing tafsir commentary of Surah Al-Munafiqun. So far we've covered four verse, three verses of two weeks. And much of the introduction and characteristics and traits of hypocrisy have have been covered in these two previous sessions. Allow me to just quickly translate the beginning three verses and then I'll move on to comment on the fourth verse where we left off. So, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Allah says, when the hypocrites come to you, they say, we testify that indeed you are surely the messenger of Allah. And Allah knows that indeed you are surely his messenger. And Allah testifies that indeed the hypocrites are most assuredly liars. They have taken their oaths as a shield. Thus they have prevented from the way of Allah. Evil indeed is what they do. This is because they believed. Then they disbelieved. So it was stamped on their hearts, i.e. disbelief was stamped on their hearts. So they don't understand. This is the translation of the first three verses. Moving on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ And when you see them, and the address is singular, it's not plural, so Allah is addressing the Prophet individually rather than everyone collectively. So he's being addressed in particular. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ that when you see them, their bodies please you, impress you. And if they speak, you listen to their words. It is as though they are timbers propped up. يحسبون كل صيحة عليهم 
They perceive every shaft to be against them. They are the enemy. So beware of them. Allah. Allah perish them. Whither, how and where are they being turned? This is the simple translation of this fourth verse. <clears throat> Just to recap, as I've explained in the previous two sessions, Allah addresses the Prophet and tells him about the hypocrites. And in the first three verses, we've covered in detail some of the key characteristics of the munafiqun in general at the time of Rasulullah One, their false testimony. That when the hypocrites come to you, they say, we testify that indeed you are surely the messenger of Allah. So number one, one of their habits was false testimony. Shahadat al-Zur, something which the Prophet ﷺ has repeatedly and very strongly warned us against. And I've covered that in detail. At the end of the first verse, Allah also says, And Allah testifies that indeed the hypocrites are surely liars. This is another one of their key characteristics, one of their chief traits. Hypocrites lie. Lying is the behavior, not of a mu'min, but of a munafiq. <coughs> another trait, اِتَّخَذُوا أَيْمَانُهُمْ جُنَّةً that they have taken their oaths as a shield. So they swear falsely in the name of Allah. They take Allah's name in vain. For them, vowing in the name of Allah, swearing an oath in the name of Allah, pledging in the name of Allah, is merely a ploy and a mechanism of deception. There's no belief, there's no sincerity. So... This is another characteristic of the munafiqun, of the hypocrites, which is to pledge falsely, take the name of Allah in vain, and to violate and break and dishonor one's promises and trusts. And then the third verse tells us that because of this persistent behavior, they through their own deeds creates a seal and a lock on their hearts. And this is because when a person sins, the effects of that sin are cumulative. Each sin makes the subsequent sin simpler. Each evil deed paves the way for the next evil deed. And each act of disobedience creates momentum. It's, it's like a snowball. It has a snowball effect, an avalanche. And before one knows it, one's whole character becomes reflective 
of sin, of corruption, of iniquity and disobedience. So this is exactly what happened with the hypocrites. Their persistent lying, their persistent <clears throat> false pledges, their persistent violation of their trusts and their dishonouring of their promises in the name of Allah, their false testimony, all of this had a cumulative effect on them to such an extent that their own deeds and behaviour placed a lock and seal on their hearts so that they couldn't understand. This is where we stopped. Now Allah continues to address the Prophet ﷺ individually. In fact, even the very first verse in which Allah says, when the hypocrites come to you, Allah is not addressing all of the Sahaba anhum, rather idha ja'aka. Individually, Allah is addressing the Prophet ﷺ. So similarly, in the fourth verse, Allah individually addresses the Prophet ﷺ and tells him some more, uh, tells him, more about the, some of the characteristics and traits of the munafiqun, other than their lying, their false testimony, and their false pledges. <clears throat> so what are these traits that the Prophet ﷺ is being told about, is being informed of, in relation to the munafiqun, the hypocrites? Allah says, وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ When you see them, تُعْجِبُكَ أَتْسَامُهُمْ Their bodies impress you. وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ And when they speak, you listen to their words. Now, during the time of the Prophet ﷺ, this verse is actually not just general about all the hypocrites, because not all the hypocrites were handsome, and not all of them were eloquent, which is a simple fact. Rather, Allah is speaking about a few hypocrites. So this is progressive. Allah begins a surah with a discussion of the general hypocrites and the traits that cover all of them. Lying, false testimony, false pledges, and misguidance. Then Allah narrows the group down in the fourth verse. Now Allah is speaking about a select few. Not all of them collectively, but rather a select few. The leaders amongst them. So there were a few leaders of the hypocrites. They weren't formally appointed because the hypocrites weren't a formal, cohesive group. Rather, they, by virtue of their previous leadership, their wealth, their politics, their charisma, their leadership skills and their forwardness, these people naturally became or were recognized and hailed as the leaders of the munafiqun, the hypocrites. So there were a few of them. <coughs> and what, what made them the leaders of the hypocrites? Often it was their wealth, their previous positions of power and influence and the fact that they occupied prominent positions in their tribes, in their clans. So these few hypocrites, they also had their henchmen and their cronies around them. 
and their sycophants. And they would actually come to the gathering of Rasulullah They would come to the masjid. They would pray with him. They would travel with him. And they had leadership skills. They had the very things that people look up to. So what do we look up to? Wealth. Beauty. Handsomeness. Charm. Charisma. Eloquence. These are the very things that captivate us. And the munafiqoon had all of these in bucket loads. One example is Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. And there were others as well. They would dress well, speak well, carry themselves well. They were rich, powerful, influential, good-looking, charming, charismatic. And this is what Allah speaks of. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ And when you see them, their bodies please you. And the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum relate that some of these hypocrites, the leaders, they were tall, handsome, well-built, well-dressed, very eloquent, charming. When they spoke, this is why they had their henchmen and their cronies around them. They were surrounded by their sycophants. When they spoke, people listened to them. And they spoke well, intelligently, politically, diplomatically, eloquently. And they would even do this in the presence of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In fact, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam recognized their leadership qualities. He did. This is why, on one occasion, in the early days of Al-Madinat Al-Munawwarah, the Prophet ﷺ, in his eagerness and desire to propagate the message of Islam, he humbly went to visit Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Now, <clears throat> before I continue, just a quick history of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Who was he? He was from the Khazraj tribe, so from the two main Arab tribes of, of, of Medina al-Munawwara, Aus and Khazraj. He was of the Khazraj tribe. He was a leader of one of the clans, and since the, the tribes of Arabia were a confederation of clans, and then you had super tribes, that were confederation of tribes. So there was no one single emperor or king. Rather, like in Makkah al-Mukarramah, you had the Darun Nadwa, like the Senate. It was a Senate in Makkah, Darun Nadwa. And the leaders of, of the individual clans and sub-tribes would gather and this group of individuals, this collection of chieftains, would be regarded as the leadership of Makkah al-Mukarramah, or of any area, region, or tribe. No one single person amongst them was recognized as a king or a monarch 
or an emperor. So, but, again, by virtue of their wealth, their power, their intelligence, their eloquence, even amongst these chieftains, one or two would rise to the top. So, similarly, in Makkah al-Mukarramah, one of the key leaders amongst all the chieftains was Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, the father of Khalid ibn al-Walid. And he was very senior in age, wealthy, he had many sons, powerful, influential. So even amongst these chieftains, he rose to the top, so he was highly regarded. Another one who was very, again, a great diplomat, very wily politician, Abu al-Hakam, whom the Prophet ﷺ named Abu Jahl. So he rose to the top as well. So similarly, in Al-Madinat Al-Munawwara, the tribes of Aus and Khazraj had their individual clans. And each of these clans and sub-tribes had a leader. So, but amongst all of these leaders, there were some who were very influential by virtue of their leadership qualities and skills. So, one of the leaders of one of the key and chief leaders of all the chieftains of Aus was Sa'd ibn Mu'adh One of the key leaders and chieftains of the Khazraj was Sa'd ibn Ubadah These were known as the two Sa'ds who were the leaders of Medina, one from each tribe. But amongst the Khazraj and the chieftains of the Khazraj, there was one of the individual who rivaled Sa'd ibn Ubadah in his leadership. And in fact, before the arrival of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he was actually on his way to be crowned the, the, the chieftain of the whole of Medina. And that was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. So he was from the Khazraj, an Arab, one of the chieftains of the clans of the Khazraj, but by virtue of his eloquence, his influence, his political acumen, he's a very shrewd politician, very wily, he rose to the top. And just before the Prophet ﷺ was about to emigrate to Medina to Munawwara, the people of Medina were on the verge of crowning him the chieftain of the whole of Medina. They were even, they were even weaving uh, a wreath for him. Then the Prophet ﷺ arrived. So he was very bitter and he felt that the Prophet ﷺ had usurped his authority, snatched the crown of Medina from him, and denied him his kingship. So he was politically motivated to oppose Rasulullah ﷺ, and personally he bore great bitterness and resentment towards Rasulullah ﷺ. But he was a very wily politician. In fact, what he would do is... He knew when to engage in battle, when not to. So in the internecine warfare between the Aus and the Khazraj, prior to the coming of Rasulullah he would cleverly keep himself out of all the battles. So a real diplomat. Even the Prophet recognized his influence. This is why he suggested to Sahaba that let us go and meet Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mounted the animal. And in a group of Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, he went to visit Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. 
When he arrived there, he was seated amongst his people, honoured, respected, the focus of attention, the centre of the gathering. So when the Prophet ﷺ arrived, the dust of the hooves of the animals was the hooves of the animals kicked up dust. So Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul cheekily said that move away from us. Do not cause this dust to reach us. And then he said about the Prophet ﷺ's donkey. He said, and he, he took his cloak, Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, and he covered his face with the cloak. And he said to the Prophet ﷺ, move away with your donkey. The stench of your donkey hurts me, offends me. So one of the Sahaba anhum said, by Allah, even the donkey of Rasulullah is more fragrant than you. So some of his henchmen then replied to the Sahaba anhum, and there began a war of words between both groups. So the Prophet calmed, the, calmed everyone, diffused the situation and left. But what is telling about this hadith is the Prophet recognizing the position and influence of Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul actually went to meet him himself with a view to propagating Islam. And one of the things Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul said on that occasion, he said, Oh Muhammad, don't come to us to preach to us. This was at the very beginning, most likely before he even embraced Islam, before the Battle of Badr. And he, he said, if somebody wants to come to listen to you, they'll come to you, but don't come to us to preach to us. So this was obviously, well, it does seem it was like it was before he formally embraced Islam. But this was Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul. After the Battle of Badr, as I mentioned last week, he felt that the waiting game is over. There's no point sitting on the fence. Muhammad's rule has been consolidated. He has defeated the Quraysh in the Battle of Badr. His star is rising, and therefore what's important now is not to oppose him publicly and openly, but rather to join his group. So he declared his Islam. And... He joined the Prophet ﷺ, and then the others followed with him. They followed him and embraced Islam too. Now Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, being a man of influence, he would command, he had a commanding presence in any gathering. And this was typical of the other hypocrites, leaders. So even when he would come into the gathering of Rasulullah and he spoke, people would listen to him. And this is what Allah refers to. That when you look at them, when you see them, their bodies impress you. And when they speak, you listen to them. And this is why in a hadith Rasulullah said, Indeed, my greatest fear for my ummah is every hypocrite who is eloquent of tongue. These qualities, these characteristics that we admire in others and that we aspire to ourselves, 
wealth, charm, charisma, beauty, handsomeness. They mean nothing in the sight of Allah. This is why Imam Muslim and others all relate to hadith. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, Inna Allah la yanzuru ila suwarikum wa amwalikum walakin yanzuru ila qulubikum wa a'malikum. Indeed, Allah does not look at your figures and your appearances and your wealth and your riches. Rather, Allah looks at your deeds and your hearts. Beauty, handsomeness, Wealth, they mean nothing. These are a test. What's hidden is not a test. What's apparent is a test. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses someone with handsomeness and beauty, it's not for them to gloat over and be proud of. For Allah will not judge anyone by their appearances. It's, it's remarkable. We are naturally attracted to handsome, beautiful people. It's well known. In fact, studies have shown that people are treated better if they are good looking. It's a simple fact of life. At every juncture, in every situation, people behave well and respond well and treat people better, even if they are total strangers, if they are good looking. And even if this is without an inherent or latent desire for that person. So even without any passion or desire, it's just human nature to be attracted to beauty, handsomeness, and to treat such a person well, speak to them well. In fact, studies have shown that good-looking people get better jobs, get better pay, or get preferential treatment. Now, this is not an endorsement of such behavior. Rather, it's an explanation of what we admire and aspire to ourselves. And this is what the Qur'an says here. When you look at them, their bodies impress you. They catch your attention with their appearance. وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ And when they speak, you listen to them. People fall silent. Everyone listens. This is why the Sahaba عنهم, say that before the battle of Uhud in Medina, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Saluh, every Jumu'ah, he would stand up. When the Prophet وسلم, imagine the scene. This masjid is full of Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam arrives for Jumu'ah Salah. And he sits on the mimbar for the Jumu'ah Khutbah. Of course, in those days, initially there wasn't a mimbar. But wherever he sat, on a trunk, and he leant on that trunk. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he would arrive for the Jumu'ah Khutbah, before he began his khutbah, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul would stand up before the entire congregation in the masjid. And the Sahaba say, people would listen to him and pay attention to him. Because he was a man of influence. And he would actually say, Oh, oh people, 
this is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah's messenger to you, amongst you. Allah has honoured you through him. Allah has granted you dignity through him. Listen to him, follow him, obey him, and then he would sit down. He'd do this every week, every Jumu'ah. So he was someone that people listened to, the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. No one would say a word. This shows his position. This is the meaning of the verse. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ وَإِنْ تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ That when you see them, their bodies impress you, please you. And when they speak, you listen. But Allah goes on to tell it, Prophet وسلم, and all of us that this is all on the surface. This means nothing. Good looks, good talk mean nothing. Within, Allah says, They are like propped up timbers. What's the meaning of propped up timbers? Sometimes, at home, in villages and towns, but even in villages, imagine a log of wood, a timber. It's not in the building, it's not performing any function, it's not fulfilling any role, it's not holding up a wall, it's not holding up a beam, it's not holding up a roof, it's not structural in any way, it's, it's adding nothing to the structure, it's providing no benefit, it's providing no support, it's not being used in anything. So what do people do with it? They leave it lying on the ground outside, or they leave it propped up against the wall. It's there. Maybe in the future we might use it. But over time, because of its exposure to the elements, it rots. And what happens when you approach the timber? It looks solid. It's propped up for such a long time. It looks solid. And you think, maybe I can make use of this. You go to it. But over time, because of its exposure to the elements, you realise that. Woodworms have started eating it, or it's crumbling in part, and therefore it's useless. So far it's provided no role, no function, it's fulfilled no purpose, and it's now rotten and useless. Until now it was just propped up against the wall. Some of the ulama relate that, so this is the meaning. Apparently the munafiqun, then as well, they looked good, they spoke well, they dressed well, but within they were hollow, they were empty, they were useless, worthless, about as good and as useful and as worthwhile and as worthy as propped up timbers against the wall. Another meaning of propped up, the ulama have explained, is that when they would come to the gathering of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I'm just quoting what's mentioned by the ulama of Islam. Don't take offense. 
But when they would come to the gathering of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they would come, but they weren't too interested. So they would sit rather comfortably, propping themselves up against the walls and pillars, reclining comfortably. So, khushbun musannada, timbers propped up. This is how they were. Whatever the Prophet ﷺ said to them, just wouldn't penetrate them. فَهُمْ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ As the previous verse states, they just don't understand. Imagine, they would be seated in the masjid of Rasulullah ﷺ. Prophet ﷺ would lead them in salah, give them a khutbah from his noble member, address them, admonish them, advise them. And yet, it had no impact or effect on them whatsoever. Their hearts were sealed. And one of the reasons is, they refused to observe the etiquettes and the adab of the gathering of Rasulullah It has a major effect. Once Prophet was seated, in the gathering, the large gathering, a man came to the edge of the gathering, eagerly looked for some space, found a space towards the front, meaning further away from the back. So he made his way, found that spot and sat down. Another man came, came to the edge of the gathering made no effort to find space at the front or move forward. Where he found space at the edge of the gathering, he just sat there. Another man came, saw the gathering, made no attempt to stay there, and moved on and left. Prophet ﷺ said, there was a man who put himself forward, so Allah propelled him forward. There was a man who stayed where he was, so Allah kept him where he was. And there was a man who turned away, so Allah turned him away. The simple act of finding a spot in the gathering of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had such a major impact on the heart. Someone who look, eagerly looked for, looked for a space and put himself forward, Allah propelled him forward. Someone who made no effort to come forward but didn't go back either, he stayed where he was so Allah kept him where he was. And someone who saw the gathering, looked at it, turned away, Allah turned him away. By the testimony of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is why the ulama have always emphasized the etiquette and the adab and the decorum of a gathering in the name of Allah and in which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's words and the words of Allah are mentioned. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi was ill. He was ill. He was reclining against the wall. It was just a private gathering. 
wasn't a religious gathering or speech, a private gathering. He was ill, so he was reclining against the wall. Someone mentioned the name of Ibrahim. In one narration, Ibrahim ibn Adham, rahimahullah, a very saintly figure. So Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, despite his illness, he sat up. They never mentioned a verse of the Qur'an or a hadith. They just mentioned the name of a pious person, Ibrahim ibn Adham. So Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal moved forward, stopped reclining, stepped forward. And he sat forward and he said, It is not befitting us that the names of the pious are mentioned amongst us and we sit reclining against the wall. That was Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Rahimahullah. And this has always been the case. Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, says, I have never stretched my legs towards the house of my teacher, Hamad ibn Abi Sulaiman, even though there are seven streets between my house and his house. Some of the ulama of Islam said, I, I have never drank water in the presence of my teacher. This, there's a history of adab, of respect, of etiquette. So the munafiqun wouldn't observe the etiquettes and the decorum of the gathering of Rasulullah And some of, the, some of the ulama of tafsir and commentators have said that this is also part of the reason why they have been referred to as khushbun musannada, as propped up timbers, because they would sit there reclining against the walls, against the pillars. As I said, this is... I'm just quoting what the, what, they've, uh, what the ulama of tafsir have said. If someone genuinely needs to recline and uh, sits in a comfortable position because of health and fatigue or age, then alhamdulillah, uh, there's no offence whatsoever. This is no recrimination or censure of anyone. But it's an encouragement that those who can should attempt to sit respectfully in the hope that through their observance of the etiquettes and the adabs of the gatherings of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will honor them with knowledge. That's why Allah says in a verse of the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قِيلَ لَكُمْ تَفَسَّحُوا فِي الْمَجَالِسِ فَفْسَحُوا يَفْسَحِ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَإِذَا قِيلَ انشُزُوا فَانشُزُوا that, oh believers, this is again about the gathering of Rasulullah What would happen? Some, some would come and they would look for space but they couldn't find space. So Allah says to the Sahaba, oh believers, when it is said to you, تَفَسَّحُوا فِي الْمَجَالِسِ Expand, create space in the gatherings, fafsahu, then make space. That means huddle together, sit closely together, so that you can create more space for others. How will Allah reward you? And these are the words of the Quran. You create space. Allah says, lakum. Allah will create expanse for you. You create a little space for your companions in a gathering. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create horizons, expanses and spaces for you. 
وَإِذَا قِيلًا شُزُوا فَانْشُزُوا The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum in their eagerness to sit with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they would remain seated. So when he would hint at them that he needed to go, or even say to them, they in their zeal would remain seated. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in his desire, in his humility, and in his, because of his manners and his gentleness, he would sacrifice his own privacy and his own needs and he would remain seated with them. So this inconvenienced him, but he wouldn't say anything. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, recognizing the zeal of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, said to them, وَإِذَا قِيلٍ شُزُوا And when it, when it is said to you, rise. فَنْشُزُوا So rise. When you're told that the gathering's over, go, rise, then immediately rise. Don't sit around. وَإِذَا قِيلٍ شُزُوا فَنْشُزُوا When it is said to you, rise, rise. Rise and go. So see, see how, Allah, how Allah rewards a person. What did the Prophet say? Allah rewards like with like. But like, Allah rewards like in the material world with like in the spiritual world. How? Rasulullah said, someone put himself forward, i.e. physically. So Allah propelled him forward, obviously, which means spiritually. Someone stayed where he was, so Allah kept him where he was. Someone turned away, so Allah turned him away. Here as well in the verse, Allah says, you create space for one another, Allah will create expanse and space for you. Which doesn't mean physically, it means spiritually. And then the second thing which Allah says, وَإِذَا قِيلًا شُزُوا فَنْشُزُوا When it is said to you, rise, rise and go. So Allah rewards like with like. If you rise physically, what will Allah do in return? Allah will raise and elevate the believers and the ones of knowledge amongst you. Allah rewards like with like. But like in the physical world, Allah rewards with like in the spiritual world. And all of this is just for observing etiquettes. Nothing else. Imagine. So for those of us who can, let us observe the etiquettes of the gatherings. This is something the munafiqun wouldn't do. So they would sit reclining, lounging about. No wonder they didn't learn anything. And Allah describes them partly for this reason, as the ulama of tafsir have said, musannada, as though they are propped up timbers. Hollow, useless, worthless, empty. So they may look the part, they may walk the walk and talk the talk, but, and they may look the part, but inside they are empty. This is why, as that hadith of Muslim says, Allah does not look at your figures and your appearances and your wealth. Allah looks at your deeds and your hearts. That's what matters to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being rich, being handsome, good-looking, well-dressed, well-spoken, these things don't matter. That's why during the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was once seated with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and a man walked past. Sahaba radiallahu anhum were asked by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what do you say of such a person? 
He was a leader of his people. He was a leader. A chieftain. Now, obviously, no one could have risen to be a chieftain without being wealthy, powerful, influential, without those leadership qualities, charm, charisma, eloquence. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, a man of honor, a man looked up to, respected, and listened to. If he speaks, he is heard. If he instructs, he is obeyed. And if he proposes for marriage, his marriage's proposal is accepted. Prophet ﷺ fell silent. Another man walked past. Prophet ﷺ said, what do you say of such a person? He was humble. Unknown. Well, relatively unknown. No position of power. No influence. No wealth. No riches. Someone who kept himself to himself. Someone who, who was looked down by others. Prophet said, what do you say of him? He said, Ya Rasulullah, a man who is not respected or honored, who is not looked up to, who is not followed. If he speaks, no one listens. If he instructs, no one obeys. And then they go on to say that if he proposes, for, if he puts forward a proposal for marriage, his proposal is rejected. No one would marry him. Allahu Akbar. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's words were One of these is better than a world full of those. One of these is better than a world full of those. And there are some children who have spoken in the cradle, spoken in the arms of the mother as a baby. Isa ibn Maryam And another that the Prophet related, that there was a mother with her child. And a powerful man walked, rode past with his entourage in a procession. Animals, robes, surrounded by people, honored. Imagine a caravan with him, a whole entourage. So the mother, cradling her child in her arms, prayed. Oh Allah, make my child grow up to be like him. So the child spoke up and said, Oh Allah, do not make me like him. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa related this hadith. This is one of the miraculous incidents when the child spoke up. Then the mother saw a young maid who must have been a servant being driven away publicly, rebuked, abused verbally, scolded. She was unkempt and disheveled in appearance, held in contempt. People were driving her away. The mother said, looking at the pitiful state of that young maiden, the mother cradling her child in her arms said, Oh Allah, do not ever 
make my child grow up to be like her. And the child spoke up and said, Allah, make me like her. Not that you are driven away, but rather, you would rather be held in contempt by the people of the world and the creation than be held in contempt by the Creator, Allah. And that's why in a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, there are many disheveled, unkempt people, covered in dust, madfu'in bil abwab, driven away from the doors. So if you look at them, what's their appearance? Ash'ath. Disheveled, unkempt, covered in dust, madfu'in bil abwab, driven away from the doors. There's a knock on the door, someone opens a door, takes one look at them, slams a door shut. They knock again, the person opens the door, shoes them away, get rid of them. Madfu'in bil abwab, driven away from the doors. That's their position as far as the creation is concerned. But their position with Allah, لَوْ أَقْسَمَ عَلَى اللَّهِ لَأَبَرَّهِ If they were to swear in the name of Allah, Allah would fulfill their oath. The meaning of Allah would fulfill their oath is, if they say, by Allah, this will happen, Allah will make sure that it will happen. If, if they swear in the name of Allah and say, this won't happen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through His grace, will answer their dua and ensure that it doesn't happen. That's how honored they are in the sight of Allah. So this is the reality. Clothes, appearances, eloquence, all the qualities that we aspire to and that we admire in others. They may not mean much in the sight of Allah. But the very things that we fear, simplicity, humility, seclusion, being uninvolved, Anonymity. These things are beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah says, وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ كَأَنَّهُمْ خُشْبٌ مُسَنَّدَةٌ When you look at them, their bodies please you. And when they speak, you listen to them. But they are in reality like propped up timbers, worthless, useless, hollow. Then Allah says, Allah describes the hypocrites during the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How were they? Although they appear to be confident, this is a facade. This is a mask. Within, within, they are very, very brittle. Very fickle, very unbalanced, very fearful. They are uncomfortable in their own skin. Always fearful, they were always fearful that they would be caught out. As I mentioned at the very beginning in the introduction, what's a good definition of a munafiq? Where did the word come from? As I've explained, there are lizards, 
and rodents that dig holes under the ground. And as part of their deception and their defense strategy, they have open holes through which they enter. And then they have their burrows and their tunnels and their labyrinth of tunnels underneath. And if ever they are pursued by a hunter, man or animal, through the hole, then they have other exit holes which they have prepared beforehand, but which aren't open. So they dig and burrow all the way up to the surface, and then right near the surface you have a thin layer of soil which isn't visible from above. It just looks like normal ground, but it's a very thin layer. And what the animal and the rodent would do then, the mole, is go straight to that prepared hole and finally dig through the ceiling, which is very thin, and manage to escape. So this exit hole was known by the Arabs. They used to refer to it as nafiqa. And nafaq means tunnel, and faq, plural. So... This is who the munafiqoon are. This is what nifaq is. Deception. A labyrinth of tunnels. An exit strategy. Entering into Islam openly and exiting in a very concealed, deceptive manner. So, one of the good single words to describe a munafiq is a mole. A mole. So, a mole, imagine a mole in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A munafiq in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How would he be? He may be well spoken and well dressed, but always fearful that he will be exposed. As Allah says of the munafiqoon in the Quran, وَإِذَا مَا أُنزِلَتْ سُورَةٌ نَظَرَ بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَىٰ بَعْضٍ Whenever a surah is revealed, they look at one another, the hypocrites. They're always looking at one another. Their eyes catch one another's eyes. And they are the munafiqoon. In another verse, they are forever fearful that a surah will be revealed about them that will expose them. They are comfortable in their, uncomfortable in their own skin. In another verse, although this isn't about the munafiqoon, but it describes the feeling in general, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That who is more sinful and who is a greater wrongdoer than one who prevents the name of Allah being mentioned and taken in the masjids of Allah. And who strives to create ruin in these masjids of Allah. Who would do that? Would anyone sympathetic try to harm the masjid of Allah? Would anyone sincerely believing in Allah try to prevent the name of Allah being taken in the masjid of Allah? What greater sin is there than harming the masjid of Allah, ruining the masjid of Allah, preventing dhikr and ibadah of Allah in the masjid of Allah? So Allah says, These people, ulaik, ma kana lahum an illa khaifin, it is not for them 
It is never for them to enter into these masjids except fearing, i.e. for themselves. So, this was the state of the munafiqun. This is the meaning of the, ver- of the word. يَحْسَبُونَ كُلَّ صَيْحَةٍ عَلَيْهِمْ They perceive every shout to be against them. What does that mean? During the time of Rasulullah they come to the masjid of Rasulullah They sit in the gathering of the Muslims. Suddenly, there's a clap, i.e. of something falls. Someone shouts. Someone screams. Because they are always on the edge, always fearful of being caught out, always suspicious, they literally jump out of their skins. They think that that shout is for them, i.e. they've been caught out. Someone screams, their first thought is, oh no, I've been caught. Someone calls out their name, their instant reaction is, oh no. I hope I haven't been caught. That's the nature of a mole. So, يَحْسَبُونَ كُلَّ صَيْحَةٍ عَلَيْهِمْ They perceive every shout to be against them. Allah then says, These are their characteristics. These are their traits. هُمُ الْعَدُوُ وَفَحْذَرُهُمْ Allah addresses the Prophet ﷺ. They are the enemy, so beware of them. قَاتَلَهُمُ اللَّهُ Allah perish them. And one of the reasons for saying قَاتَلَهُمُ Allah is that although the hypocrites lived with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam all these years and they harmed him so much he never did anything to them. He took no action against them. He took no retaliatory measures against them. There were one or two exceptions, but that was very clear, like Masjid Dirar, where they built a masjid, and then it was called by Allah, Dirara, the, uh, a masjid which they had built to harm the Muslims. So it was forever known as Masjid Dirar, the masjid of Dirar, the masjid of harm. That was demolished and burnt down. But... Individually, the Prophet ﷺ never took any retaliatory measures against them. Did not fight with them. And one of the reasons is, it's so difficult. This is a nature of lying. This is a nature of deception. This is a nature of hypocrisy. What do you do? What can you do? There is no defense against lying. This is wives. We should never laugh at anyone who has been deceived. We shouldn't find it funny. We shouldn't think that he's an idiot for trusting, for believing. She's an idiot for trusting, for believing. Because the Prophet ﷺ himself says, المؤمن غر كريم A believer, a mu'min is innocent, naive, noble. That's why I translated the ghir as innocent rather than first and then naive. Ghir literally means naive. 
But here it doesn't mean naive in a negative way, it means innocent. A believer is not suspicious. That's the character of a munafiq. The munafiq is forever suspicious, uncomfortable in their own skin. Everyone thinks that the other person is just like them. That's human nature. We see others as a reflection of ourselves. So a believer, being soft, gentle, kind, trusting, innocent, honest, thinks that everyone else is good and honest. And a rascal and a rogue thinks everyone else is a rascal and a rogue, just like him. So, a believer is innocent and noble. So if you speak to a believer, he thinks you're just like him. Honest and truthful and noble and innocent. So he believes you. And that's how a believer is. A believer is not paranoid and suspicious. A believer is careful and cautious. That's different and that requires another topic. Careful and cautious, yet, But in general, a believer is innocent and noble. So we should never laugh at anyone who has been lied to and deceived or taken for a ride, betrayed. We should never think, even for a moment, that that's stupid. Why? That's a character of a believer. And what better example could there be than this? Even Rasulullah had no defense against the Munafiqun. They lied to him. They came to him, they lied, they made their excuses, and they said, we won't be able to join you, so grant us permission to be excused on this occasion from joining you on this campaign, the book. So the Prophet said, fine. He accepted what they said. Left them to it. Allah says to him, May Allah forgive you, O Messenger of Allah. May Allah excuse you. Why did you grant them permission and leave? From amongst you, there are hypocrites. From the Bedouin. And from amongst those who surround Medina, there are hypocrites. Amongst the Bedouin. And from the people of Medina. They are persistent in their nifaq, in their hypocrisy. Meaning they are so entrenched. They are veteran hypocrites. You do not know them, we know them. Allah says to him. So even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he was lied by the hypocrites. This is why Allah says, leave Allah to deal with them. Allah. Allah perish them. Because what can anyone else do? They are always lying, cheating, deceiving, betraying, entering, exiting, changing their colors, chameleons, masks, personas. What defense do you have against this? Dealing with one munafiq is a full-time job for a whole team of people. 
This is why lying is so dangerous. Allahu Akbar. What defense does a person have against lying? A liar won't hesitate. A liar will swear in the name of Allah and lie. A liar will curse himself and lie. A liar... I've been in situations where bearded Muslims have sworn in the name of Allah in front of me, touched the Qur'an and sworn in front of me, sworn in the name of their children in front of me, to, to this degree that I swear in the name of Allah I am speaking the truth. And Allah strike my child dead if I am lying. Allah cast a bolt of lightning on my child and kill my child if I am life, if I am lying. And then five minutes later, the same person admits, "Yes, Sheikh, I was lying." What defense does a person have against lying? No defense. And that's just one of the weapons in the arsenal and the repertoire of the munafiq. Lying, just one. This is why the words are very telling. Allah doesn't say, you take action against them. Allah doesn't say, you deal with them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They are the enemy, but you beware of them. As far as dealing with them is concerned, Allah confound them. Allah curse them. Allah perish them. Allah shall battle with them. And now you fakum. Whither are they being turned? Meaning, after all this guidance, the words of Allah, the words of His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, His presence, such nur and hidayah, they still cannot see. And this is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he dealt with non-Muslims with dignity and honor. Of course, he dealt with the munafiqoon as well. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had respect even for those non-Muslims who he had dealings with. A beautiful example is Mut'im ibn Adi. Mut'im ibn Adi was a non-Muslim. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he granted Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam protection after his experience in Ta'if and he brought him into Mecca, Mut'im ibn Adi told him, I grant you my jiwar and protection, come with me. He took him to the Kaaba from the gates of Mecca, brought him to the Kaaba, and in the Kaaba the Quraysh were gathered. Mut'im ibn Adi had told his sons to come dressed in armor and with their weapons. And that meant that Mut'im ibn Adi was granting his protection to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That meant he had the back and the protection of his sons, his family. That meant he had the protection of his clan. So Mut'im ibn Adi, despite being a non-Muslim, he gave the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam protection after his uncle Abu Talib passed away. And he came into the mataf of the Kaaba and he announced that I give Muhammad ibn Abdullah my jiwar and protection. And then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in the presence of the Quraysh, 
the chieftains of the Quraysh. He performed tawaf around the Kaaba whilst being guarded by the sons of Mut'im ibn Adi. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam remembered him so fondly that after the battle of Badr, when all of those captives were taken in Badr, imagine Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, if Mut'im ibn Adi was alive and present and he was to speak to me and intercede before me on behalf of all of these captives of Badr and he requested of me that I release them in his honor, I would release all of them. Why? Because even though they were unbelievers, they were principled, they were honest. They had their reasons for not believing. But there was no lying, there was no deceit, there was no deception, there was no desire to harm. They were noble and dignified even in their disbelief. And honest in their disbelief. But the munafiq, Allahu Akbar. The munafiq, the hypocrite, is so deluded. He thinks he is not only deceiving the whole of creation, but he's also deceiving the creator. And that's why I mentioned the verse last week that they will stand before Allah on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and even swear before Allah and they will think that they will have got away with it even on the day of judgment before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Allah says, They are the enemy. Beware of them. Allah. Allah perish them. Whither are they being turned? I would love to carry on with the next verse, but... Uh, I, I think I should stop here, otherwise it, there's a new section which covers three verses. And this is now mainly about Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Sulu, especially the latter two of these three verses. So, as I said from the beginning, the beginning of the surah deals with the munafiqun in general, and then it trickles and narrows down to the leaders. And then from amongst the leaders, it comes down to mainly Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, who was the chieftain of the Munafiqun. And if I start on that section, it will take very long. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand. May Allah make Allah adorn us with the beautiful characteristics of Iman. Allah protect us from the nefarious traits of Nifaq. Of hypocrisy, was the law who seldom allowed the hero soul in the being of Hamid, while a lady was happy age means panical law, Mobihendic, the Shadwala Ila Ilant, the Stafford Connor to be like.